My younger brother is 17 months younger than me, and that means that we did pretty much everything together, and we competed in pretty much everything we did. Unfortunately, he got to the point where he could beat me in basketball. I still had soccer, but he had basketball, so that's how we split it up. And uh, we just loved hanging out together. We loved playing together. We played war in the woods behind our house. We got in trouble together, jumping off the roof, something you shouldn't do. But we did anyway. And we, we basically were hand in hand always in everything we did, good things, bad things. And we loved each other. And um, so, that, so that made what happened next all the more difficult, is that my um, sophomore year in college, I had a call from my mother. And she told me that my brother had been arrested for um, dealing drugs and then kicked out of college for that. And he had the option of either going to jail or of doing um, court-ordered rehab. Obviously, he did court-ordered rehab. That was the, the wiser move. And that still was a hard point. It marked kind of the beginning of a really difficult year. Um, a couple months later, my parents called me and said, Ben, we're going to have to file for bankruptcy because we, we don't have the money. And what's happened is that there have been several different business deals that have gone bad. And I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to go to um, apply for financial aid, all these things. And next thing I knew, um, I was praying about going to Indonesia because the tsunami had hit. And so this is all within one month after another. And I ended up getting on a plane, going to Indonesia and serving there. Um, and there is nothing that compares to natural devastation poverty. Absolutely nothing compares to it. And if that wasn't enough, I had already signed up to do an internship in Jerusalem, in Israel. And so a few weeks after I returned to the States, I ended up hopping on a plane and going to Jerusalem. And one of the things I did there was I worked with Arab and Israeli Christians in trying to do um, reconciliation between the two of them. And suffice to say, my world was rocked on multiple levels. Not only had the brother who I love been into this circumstance, into these things that I had not even known for years, um, my parents melted down and with the financial problems. My worldview was totally rocked, and I returned to my undergrad, which was a pretty wealthy evangelical school in the Midwest. And I felt like I had no friends. I felt like I couldn't relate to anybody there. And so what happened is that I, f I fell into a pretty deep spiritual depression. Now, I don't think I ever doubted God's existence, but God was definitely far from me. But I knew that in this moment, in this time, that there was something out there. I was longing for something. It was, I felt like as I walked around, I could, this longing was exuding from my body that other people could feel it. It was so heavy upon me. And there was just something that I was looking for. There was a connection I was longing to have with other people, connection I was longing to have with God. And I think this longing is a human longing. And I think some of us, I'm, I'm sure most of us have experienced this longing. And so some of us tonight might be longing for that special person, that spouse. We might be longing for that person who just gets us, that person who loves us for who we are. Others of us may be longing for a job, something that we don't have to worry about the paycheck from week to week, where we can give our kids what we want to give them. Other, others of us may be longing for a purpose. We may feel like, well, at some point in the past, I knew what I was doing, I knew what I was supposed to do with my life, but now I have no idea. Door after door is closed, and I don't know what to do. And there's this longing. There's this longing that's within us. And I think that longing is what this story is about. 
And so what I'd like to do tonight is trace through some of the longings, some of the passages, that, some of this story that's here in the Bible. And I think a lot of people understand this text as a particular story to a particular people at a particular time. And I think that this is actually the story of humanity. This is the story that, that speaks about who we are as human beings. And so we find that within the first few chapters of the Bible, there's already the first murder. There's pain, there's suffering, there's injustice, there's people longing for beauty, there's broken relationships, and there's a cheap spirituality. But thankfully, God didn't leave us there. And God set in motion a plan to redeem the world. And he began this plan with a man named Abraham. And what he, what he did is he set out to have this man create a nation. And this nation wasn't just a blessed people, wasn't just a chosen nation. It was a nation that was to represent God to the world. It was a nation that was called to implement this rescue mission on the earth. And of course, Abraham is a sinful man, and it takes about half a chapter for us to realize that as he lies about his wife, he calls her his sister, which was only half lie, because she was his half-sister, but lies nonetheless. And his descendants follow the same course. They lie, they cheat, they steal. They're clamoring for what they want. And so four generations later, we come to Joseph. And Joseph has the same longing, too. He has these dreams. There's something in him that's longing for something more, something better. He's longing for the way things ought to be. But his brothers hear him, and they're jealous of him, and so they sell him into slavery. And many years later, the going gets tough. There's a famine in the land, and so all of that family goes to Egypt. Joseph forgives them and welcomes, that, welcomes them into Egypt. But two generations later, the Jewish people are forgotten. No one remembers their connection to Joseph, and they are made slaves. And we see here in Exodus 2 that it is a people who is crying out for deliverance. Let me read this to you. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So God, again, sets forth this rescue mission. He leads the people out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they go across this Red Sea. Miraculously, God parts the sea. They go across, and as the Egyptians follow, the sea closes in on them and washes them up. And that's where we are. That's kind of the stage for our passage for this evening. And let me read this to you. This is, again, what Hanno read earlier. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went unto the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, meaning bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Which, by the way, if you're walking by the Charles, you have a visitor out of time. This works. So you can just chuck it in there. It's awesome. <laughs> then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and keep, give ear to his commandments and keep all your statues, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Egyptians. Skipping ahead to 16. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, 
which of course is always a great place to hang out, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the, fifth, of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And so what you see here is three days, three days from the Red Sea. Now, if I had seen the Red Sea, I would hope I would be a little better at waiting to doubt God. I mean, it's pretty miraculous, but three days later, we have them doubting God. We have them begging for water, saying, where is the water, God? This water is bitter, and they're groaning. And I think what this is showing here is that there's a, there's a mistrust, there's a distrust in God. They're not trusting God to provide for them. And we see this again in 16, when they're groaning for the meat pots. I have no idea what meat pots are. I personally don't find that appetizing. But the Israelites really wanted their meat pots. And they wanted their bread to the full. And they're groaning for it. Why? Because they didn't have it, and so they wanted it. And they wanted it on their terms. And so again, we find this pushed even further when we go ahead to Exodus 32. And the only difference really between here and Exodus 32 is that Moses isn't there to save their butts. That's really the only difference. Moses goes up, he goes onto the mountain, and they grumble, they groan, and they say, where are you, Moses? Well, he's not coming back. Let's build a golden calf. And we see this again taken to the next level in 1 Samuel 8, when the people cry out for a king. And what this comes down to, I think on the top level, there's a level of not trusting God. I think if you were to take it one level lower, you would see a people who, who want what they want, and they want it now. And I think, I believe, that what they want is they want to be secure. They want to be safe. And so they want security and they want it on their own terms. And another word for that, for desiring something on your own terms and when you want it, is an idol. Now, a great definition of an idol is something that, whatever it is, whether it's um, money, a job, or whatever, whatever it could be, is it something that you yearn for so much and you put so much hope in that that you think, man, if I just had that, then I would know my identity. I would know who I am. I would be confident in who I am, and I would be safe and secure. And so another word for this used by um, a pastor from New York is, is called a counterfeit God. And this is a counterfeit God that, that people are longing after. And so here we see Israel longing for this counterfeit God of security. But what it's based out of is it's based out of a natural, a good longing that they were given. They were giving a longing for freedom. They were giving a longing to represent God to the nations. But it got twisted in the midst of their journeys. And this happens to all of us. We have longings that are good, that were given to us, and that have been twisted. And this is actually so powerful that Paul in Romans 1 warns that the worst thing God can do to someone is to give them over to, to the desire of their hearts. The worst thing we can actually do is have our own longings, our own inward desires be turned against us. And so I think it's important to know that Ash Wednesday is about forgetting. It's about recognizing that we've forgotten God in the midst of our longing, in the midst of our counterfeit gods. And a great example of this is actually Bono from U2. I know many of you love Bono. He might be a Christian, he might not be. I don't know. He probably is not sure either. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that when he was recording the Joshua Tree in the 80s, he missed his wife's birthday. Didn't even recognize it. Didn't even call to apologize. Nothing. Completely missed it because he was in the studio. And so what he did is he recorded a song, many of you probably know it, called The Sweetest Thing. And in this, in this video, it's segment after segment of him asking his wife to forgive him. 
And it's a little ironic, isn't it, that he spent hours in the studio, forgot his wife's birthday, said, oh man, I messed up. I better go back and spend more hours in this studio and write her a song. I don't think she was too happy with that. And I don't know her, I don't know their relationship, but I'm guessing she was probably longing for time to be with him. But this is how, this is how these counterfeit gods work, is we, we see them, we think, oh man, okay, maybe it's getting a little out of control, you're right. But then our solution to it is to go back and use these counterfeit gods as a solution. And it just becomes a cycle that we get trapped in. But there is a hope. And so Ash Wednesday is about longing. Ash Wednesday is about realizing that we've forgotten God. But Ash Wednesday is also about returning. And we see time and time again in the, in the Bible, the people of Israel are going in this cycle. They're longing, they're forgetting God, and they're returning. And the question is, what happens from God's perspective when your main vehicle, the main way you wish to bring about redemption in the world, needs redeeming itself? And so God sends his son. He sends Jesus. And Jesus comes among us. I think this is the, one of the most powerful parts of Christianity, is that Jesus has come into our midst. Um, Eugene Peterson writes in the message that he's moved into our neighborhood. And he's done that. He's come not like a Greek god, to walk around, to play games with us, and then leave. But he's come, he came to take on our pain and our suffering, to feel what it's like to have these longings, to be tempted by these desires to see them twisted. And he came, and ultimately he came to die for these longings, for these twisted desires. And so all of our wrongdoings, all of the greater evil in this world, he died for, and he was resurrected. And in that resurrection, he beat death. He gave us hope and he gave us life. And this is also the story of Ash Wednesday, is that yes, we're about to enter into Ash Wednesday, but we're looking ahead, we're looking forward to Easter Sunday. So everything we do is in that light. And, it, and I think it's important for us to recognize that as we come to receive our ashes, as we're moving to this time, that there are many things that are happening. One of the things that might be happening is that God is pointing out to you these areas where your, your right longings, these things that have been given to you by God, these natural desires you crave, have been turned into counterfeit gods. And many of these, these counterfeit gods are much like reflections, like when you go to the circus, you see reflections in funny mirrors. Another story that illustrates this is possibly the story of Narcissus, who I'm sure you can guess the end result of this story, but it's where we get our word narcissistic from. Narcissus is a Greek legend, and he was this beautiful man, gorgeous man, all the women wanted him, but he could never find a woman as good-looking as he was. And so all the women of the land cried out to the gods, saying, he won't marry us, he won't have us, will you fix this? And so they led Narcissus into the, into the woods, they led him to a pond, a beautiful, crystal-clear pond, and he looked into the pond, and he saw his own reflection. But he thought it was so beautiful, it had to be a sea nymph. So he reached forward, and as soon as he reached to touch it, the water would shimmer, and it would disappear. And so he would wait, and it would come back. And he'd be so excited, and then it would shimmer. And he went away, he came back, looking for it again. And finally, after going away and coming back so many times, he decided just to wait. And he waited. And he waited, forgetting about food, forgetting about water, and he waited. And eventually he died of starvation. And this is much like what happens to us. We forget, we come back, we forget, we come back. 
And then if we're not careful, we'll wait too long. And I think these reflections are what God is calling us to. These, these reflections of good and right things that have been twisted is what God is calling us today, this evening, to turn from. And one of the things I love about Ash Wednesday is that Ash Wednesday is a moment. It's a mark. It's a time where you can come before God. You can lay out your junk before Him. And you can say, God, hear me. This is where I've been. But this isn't where I want to be. This isn't where I want to go. So again, Ash Wednesday, it's about our longings. It's about forgetting God, but it's also about returning. So in a moment, we are going to come forward. We're going to receive ashes. And as we receive ashes, I invite you all to, to many different things. For some of us, it might be like me. When I was longing, when I was thirsting, when I was hungering for a relationship, and I was looking for God, but I couldn't find him because I made God out to be a counterfeit God. I was being idle of my own hard work. I thought if I just did enough good things, if I just worked hard enough on social justice, if I just got enough grades, I'd be satisfied. But I learned that wasn't it. And so the Lord allowed me to return to him. And some of you may be in that boat tonight. Some of you may know that exact longing that has been twisted. Some of you may know that exact sin that you repeat over and over again. You want freedom, but you just, for some reason, you haven't been able to confess it to God. Tonight, as you come forward to receive the ashes on your forehead, let that be a time when you can repent, when you can say, God, I'm returning to you. Others of us may be so broken, may be so hurt by the circumstances of this world that we have forgotten what our longings are. We don't have dreams anymore. They've been beaten out of us. We don't have any longings. And so for those of you, I invite you, when we come, if we are like that, when we come to receive our ashes, let us come and let our prayer be, God, give me a longing. Give me something that is deep, a purpose. Speak to me your desire for me. And others of us might not know who Jesus is. We might not be in relationship with him. Sure, we've observed him from afar. We've analyzed his pithy sayings and his teachings, but we don't know who he is. And if that's one of you tonight, then I invite you as you come forward to receive ashes to confess to God and to enter into relationship with him. And so what, what we're hoping to do with these ashes is we're hoping to lay down our idols, our counterfeit gods. We're hoping to also recognize our own weakness. Because the point of the gospel, the point of this story, is that we couldn't do it on our own. And we can't move forward. We can't move forward into Lent, into resurrection, until we do that. And lastly, it's a call to make Jesus, to listen to the teachings of Jesus and to make him what we call your Lord. And if we look back, we're going to turn one more time back to Exodus and hear this passage. It says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. There he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. So as they left Egypt, they weren't leaving to become autonomous. And I think this is something we struggle with in the Western world. Say we are not autonomous beings. They left one ruler, Pharaoh, and they found another ruler, God. And those rulers are dramatically different. There's a God of grace and a God of judgment. And tonight, 
I invite you to come to listen to the teachings of Jesus because we're not coming into an autonomous relationship by ourselves. We're coming into community. So the last call I have is for us as a community. As we come forward, let us remember that just like the Israelites, we are called to be ambassadors to the world. We are called to bring, as humbly as we can, as broken people, bring this rescue plan to the world. So as we come, we come not just as individuals, but we come as a community. So after we say a prayer, after we read some liturgy together and say a prayer, we're going to come forward. And you may all come when you are ready. There's going to be no usher to direct you. When you are ready, come forward and kneel before either Mark or I, and we will impose the ashes upon your forehead. And again, I encourage you to ask these questions. This is a moment, this is a time where you can mark in your life. And God is calling you to something. Let us pray together.